0: welcome you're listening to weather hype a podcast for casual weather conversation I'm Min Fon. And I'm Castle Williams. On episode 18 of Weather Hype, we're going to be talking about the NOAA Weather Radio and how it's going to enhance and how National Weather Service is going to be improving communication and dissemination of weather information and civil emergency information as well. We'll be joined today by Dr. Tyra Brown, who is a project manager of the Office of Dissemination at the National Weather Service.
1: We'll also be joined by Dr. Laura Myers, who is the director at the Center of Advanced Public Safety, and also also a senior research scientist at the University of Alabama. Hey, now I'm the reason why you broke up with him and got back together. Thought I was sunshine, but baby, I'm bad weather. I'm off the Doppler in the five day forecast. By the time they hear me, I've already pushed the shore back. No, no, I wasn't always like this. Skies cleared soon as my daylight lit. Sidewalks dried up, no snow emergency. I could take you February and turn it into spring. I was born out of storm. Take-
0: thanks so much for being on the show, guys.
2: Hi, great. Thanks for having us.
3: Yeah, thanks for having us. Great to be here.
0: And, uh, you know, we're going to be talking today about the NOAA uh, Weather Radio and how the future of the weather radio is going to be going. So can you guys tell us a little bit more about what exactly the NOAA Weather Radio is?
2: Sure. So NOAA Weather Radio is a nationwide network of over 1,000 transmitters broadcasting uh, continuous weather and uh, emergency information to all 50 states, adjacent coastal waters, Puerto Rico, the U.S. Virgin Islands, and the Pacific Territories. The NOAA Weather Radio has been in existence since the mid-1950s, and it served as a primary uh, multi-mission program broadcasting these official uh, warnings, watches, forecasts, and other hazardous information 24-7, and it uses broadcast radio frequency technology.
0: So, Tyra, when you're saying it broadcasts information, so if there was a tornado watch or tornado warning, would people get that from their National uh, Weather Service on their weather radio? Is that how it kind of works?
2: Absolutely, right. So any official watch warning or alert that would come from a local National Weather Service forecast office, once that alert is issued, it could be received over, you know, uh, through a NOAA weather radio transmitter broadcast.
0: Okay. And then all emergency stuff as well. So we're talking about things like an Amber Alert for a missing child or or, uh, something like that. That would also go through the weather radio as well.
2: Absolutely. And that's one of the great things about NOAA Weather Radio is that it is for weather hazards, but also non-weather uh, emergencies. So amber alerts, um, possibly silver alerts for um, maybe missing um, uh, seniors, uh, if there were a chemical spill, or oil spill, something like that. Um, so those alerts could also come through the NOAA Weather Radio broadcast. Okay.
0: Um, and so you were talking about the technology earlier about how they use um, radio transmitters to get the signal out. It's rather an outdated system. I mean, it works for sure, but it's a little bit antiquated in a way and that's what you guys are going to be looking into, right, to see how it can be updated to better serve the public now.
2: Yeah, so that's what you're You're absolutely right. So, you know, again, it's been in um, existing since the mid-1950s. And so one thing that's good about no-weather radio, so first it uses an analog radio technology. And so it has broadcasts that are found in seven different frequencies of the VHF public service bands. And so the analog radio technology works by converting sounds into electro- electrical signals and broadcasting the signal to a receiver, right? So that is a um, a limited type of dissemination um, or method for dissemination. Of course, now we live in a society that has, you know, all types of rich communication methods, right? So we've got our phones and we've got mobile devices, we've got web, things like mm-hmm. that. So the one thing that's good about No Weather Radio is that, you know, radio technology has you know i've been around for a very very long time so it's a it's a stable you know, kind of reliable system, but it is very limited. Now, there's, um, it's reaching technological obsolescence, and um, just needing to keep pace with the new advancements in technology.
1: So if people are interested in getting a weather radio, or they're just now hearing about it on this very podcast, where is somewhere they can get one? Or are there any resources out there that can help people actually get these radios for their house or in their home? Oh, yeah,
2: absolutely. So um, no weather radio can be found in a variety of places. So you can go to local pharmacies or grocery stores, um, outdoor and recreational types of stores, amazon.com or some other online shopping place if you wanted to just uh, do a, a search on weather radios. And they range from a, about 20 to to $100, depending on the features you want. Mm. So there's some that sit like a desktop. There are some that are really cool. They have um, flashlights and solar power and can charge up your cell phone and they oh. have Wow. hand crank yeah. So let's just say you are in a you know severe weather event and your power goes out. So a lot of these units are, the NWR is battery backup. So you'd have that there. Then you can also plug in um, other devices, you know, for a quick charge you might need until you're able to have power restored. So again, that's one of the great things about No Weather Radio. You know, you always want multiple ways to be, you know, get your alerts and warnings, but it is a very reliable backup source. So we definitely... Uh, recommend that people have one, especially if you live in high weather um, uh, areas. We
0: were um, talking about how reliable it is with NOAA Weather Radio and and how it's such a great technology. And you and uh, Dr. Brown have been working on trying to improve how the National Weather Service uh, kind of disseminates weather information in general. And y'all have been doing some research about that. Can you tell us a little bit more?
2: We're focusing on, particularly at this moment, NOAA Weather Radio, again, because that has been for so long a primary weather information dissemination um, system that we've used. So we focus there, but the idea is to look at at how do we deliver as an agency, right? um, How do we do a mass dissemination of the weather information? How do we deliver weather information to the public? And so broadly, that would include alerts, warnings, advisories, and just general weather information, your general forecast. But because warnings and watches are so very important, we specifically focused on those components of weather information for this study. Last year in the National Weather Service, in response to some um, best practices and reports and studies on how we can modernize the National Weather Service, how we can improve our products and services to the public. Um, from those recommendations, we internally created a, a new process called transformational change. And so that is a new process that is helps us have an objective and transparent decision-making process that will guide any significant organizational or operational change within the National Weather Service. So one of the tenets. Of transformational change for us in the Weather Service is um, as an agency is to create a transparent process. And at the foundation of a transparent process for us is engaging our stakeholders and our core partners, right? So I really am excited about this positioning on what we're doing. So we've identified here's a system that we really want to see some change come to. We've heard our stakeholders, we've heard our partners say, we love it, but make it better. And so now we wanted want to create a decision-making. How do we, uh, what are the decisions we make around this pro- this um, program or this network? And so we have, at, you know, at the foundational level of transformational change is stakeholder engagement. So this very first phase, it's one of three that we are envisioning. And it's it took place, uh, phase one stakeholder engagement took place uh, in FY16, um, the second phase, phase two, is uh, we've called design and engineering, and that is a two-year process. And then we'd have deployment and decommissioning, right? So whatever the new system or new network would look like, and we kind of have that scoped for a five-year time frame. But in this first year, we definitely wanted to focus. That project or this project on stakeholder engagement, really reaching out to stakeholders and, you know, inviting their voices to the table to say, how do we make this system better? Tell us what your needs are. What are you? And we really wanted to understand what the current uses of weather information are. What are our gaps? What, you know, as, as the partners and our, our, our core partners and stakeholders see them. And then also get some information from the stakeholders on what they believe their future needs will be. And then we wanted to take all of that information to help us inform the decision on where we should go with this system, you know, what things should be implemented to make it better and meet the needs of the users. So that kind of just gives you an overarching idea of the, the project and the mm-hmm. scope of it.
1: Awesome. Um, So for our listeners, what are some of the big takeaway points that you think are kind of important or um, different things that you would like to touch on from the project? Um, So what kind of information did you guys actually find from phase one?
3: Well, we found several things. Um, we took a, a kind of a holistic big pr- picture approach, uh, with everybody to talk about all of the different modalities. And so that gave us kind of a global perspective on the use of all of the modalities. And then we found out specific things about particular modalities. So the, the first thing that was really, um, interesting is to understand how people use multiple warning modalities for redundancy. Um, in any type of an event, uh, be it a weather event or any other type of an event where these modalities are disseminating information, they all have strengths and weaknesses, and they all go off at different times. They contain different amounts of information. And so the various stakeholders use as many of these modalities as possible. Um, the NOAA Weather Radio gets information out very, very quickly. Um, it provides a lot of detailed information. The WIA alerts and the alert notifications, they come out, they have a, a little bit of information, not as much as NOAA weather radio, perhaps, and they're constrained by bandwidth issues and character limitations, all of which are things that are being currently enhanced by the, the, uh, organizations and entities that have developed those particular modalities. So that's, you know, some of kind of the global things that we found. Then spe- specifically, We've looked at things like, um, you know, the types of information that comes across on the modalities and, and what's important in that. And so the modalities that can provide location and timing are very critical to stakeholders. Um, the issue of false alarms and trying to reduce false alarms and the overwarning process. Some of the modalities uh, contribute to the false alarm process. Others um, reduce that problem. Some of the modalities are better for nighttime warnings, NOAA weather radio being one of them, uh, trying to make sure you're getting the information during the night. Um, the issue of transient warnings. Uh, how do we get how do we disseminate warning information to people in cars and people who are out and about, people who are traveling? So certain modalities work better for that. Um, also, in terms of partner notification, trying to make sure that all the partners in the weather enterprise are getting this information through as many of these modalities as possible. So it's been interesting to talk to people about what partners use, which modalities partners rely on, and and which ones are the stronger. Um, also, in terms of the information that's being disseminated, it's important to have impacts The whole impact-based messaging process has become a big deal with all the modalities. And, uh, end users, stakeholders, you know, talk about the fact that the modalities that can provide impacts are the most useful. Um, we've also looked at the issues of reducing the noise associated with the modalities. If the modalities provide information or create issues and problems um, for people listening to them, they tend to not want to use them and not want to rely on them. So trying to figure out which ones you know, contain certain baggage that bother people, that annoy people, and trying to figure out ways to reduce that.
1: So some of our listeners may not be as familiar with certain social science methods that are used to obtain this type of information. So could you kind of break down or walk through a little bit of the different techniques that you may have used to get those results?
3: Yeah, we use a lot of different techniques. Um, It started with Tyra and her group. Um, they started out by identifying um, the various stakeholder groups and who needed to be talked to um, around the country um, about these particular issues. And so that was the first phase of the process of identifying the stakeholder groups and making sure that we were getting to the right stakeholder groups and the right people within the stakeholder groups. Mm-hmm. So that was the first stage. And then from there, we did in-depth interviews, focus groups, um surveys just about any type of social science method that you could imagine that would provide us statistical information as well as in-depth qualitative information very rich information to explain all of this so i think the interviews and the focus groups were the most productive in regards to you know finding out these issues and determining patterns mm-hmm. and trends between different stakeholder groups
0: And I forget if you uh, mentioned it, but who was uh, in the focus groups that you guys were um, talking with and and surveying and and talking about with this project?
2: You know, as Dr. Meyer said, there were, uh, when you think about this, uh, who's a stakeholder? um how do we identify them so when we started out this project to try to identify the stakeholders we had a really large large group so we did a visual mapping and came up with roughly over 200 types of stakeholders and and actually even individual stakeholders so to give the the project and the study some scope and you know um the ability to be able to complete it and to get something you know um some some good feedback from it, um, at least in this first phase, we had to kind of uh, pare that down, and we did that by um, you know doing a mapping analysis and um, some classification of of that large stakeholder group, and we put that um, roughly into five categories of of stakeholders that we wanted to reach out to in this very first initial engagement um, activity and so those stakeholders were um, internal. National Weather Service across our uh, weather forecast offices, primarily looking at the meteorologist in charge or the hydrologist in charge, trying to reach out to the warning coordination meteorologists, who are the ones at the local office who interface with the public and with our partners, emergency management partners and um, entities like that. So there was an internal government reach of of Weather Service and some FEMA um, counterparts um, that look at preparedness and um, you know FEMA mobile apps and things like that. Another area were broadcasters, so we reached out to broadcast meteorologists as well. We reached out to and and stakeholders within the community of emergency management at state and local levels, and then we reached out to uh, what we put in a category as. Uh, technology or industry and slash technology and so those were companies or businesses that manufacture or develop weather alerting weather information technology or consumer devices and so we had a few of uh, representatives from that category as well
0: and you know when we are talking about all these things it's important to to understand the different perspectives from all the um, diverse stakeholders that we do have that that use our product and everything else um, then it comes into the idea. Of what what did they kind of say I, I know we mentioned at one point that um, I had a question a long time ago when I saw your presentation your poster at the NWA conference in Norfolk and um, one question I had was is the no weather radio going away could it possibly go away and based on what you discussed with your stakeholders they seem to actually really like that technology and like the no weather radio itself right
2: yeah absolutely so we found that you know, of this first subset of stakeholders that we reached out to, you know, what overwhelmingly there, you know, there was a, a very positive um, response to NOAA Weather Radio. Everyone that we talked to said, you know, we, they definitely wanted to see NOAA Weather Radio, keep that technology, keep that modality, sorry, keep that modality there. but with that, they'd also like to see some improvements to NOAA Weather Radio. So, And they they talked to us about what that would look like. Um, So they said, overwhelmingly, they'd like to retain NOAA Weather Radio in some form, but also improve it. And where they wanted to, they were really specific and uh, very interested in seeing improvements were with the warning information, so that that information is storm-based and geo-targeted. They also wanted us to work on um, resolving some of the uh, transmitter location and maintenance issues, but definitely they wanted information that is more detailed, rich um, content. And again, that had some storm base or geolocation capability.
0: So when you're saying geographic-located or geo-based-located when we're talking about, let's say, a tornado warning or a severe thunderstorm warning, um, and the way it works right now is the National Weather Service will draw a polygon, and if you're right. located within that polygon, and the w- the weather radio will kind of sound off for the people who are in that area. So, if we're talking about geolocated, um, how would that differ from what it is currently now?
2: Yeah, so that would then bring so with and and again, it was you know this being able to. Um, it would increase the accuracy, right? That's what would potentially we mm-hmm. would hope for—the accuracy and, and precision of the of the warning area. And so, basically, um, we would then hope that you could accurately depict the threat area with um, with warning polygons. And so that's not available now, but that's one of the uh, a, a, an idea that came up in a lot of the conversations. So geo-targeting. So essentially, you know, you could envision this as if you are in an area where a tornado warning or let's say a hurricane watch or warning w- was issued, then you can kind of get really more granular information. So it wouldn't be for that entire county, right? You can, um, have that more, uh, focused and and more precise to where you are. One of the other things is um, that we've seen also in some some weather apps is that if I live in Florida and I can have my alerts and warnings, if I travel to a family member that lives in maybe Oklahoma, different type, different area, different types of alerts and warnings, but Mm -hmm. being able to uh, be alerted to warnings or potential severe weather in areas as I travel to. So those are some of the things that we were looking at as far as what geotargeting and that technology would bring to an advancement or an enhancement to NOAA weather radio.
0: Okay, I might have misspoken then I think because um, if the polygon happens in a part of the county, then the whole county would get the weather radio would go off if they live in that county. Is that how it would be currently right now?
2: That's how it is currently now.
0: Yes. Okay. Perfect. Okay. So I had been spoken. I had. Um. I meant to say that. Uh. Because I think I used to have a weather radio, but mine broke. <laughs> so it's been it's been a few years since uh since I used to have it, but I remember. Yeah, it would it would say a uh, tornado in the western part of the county that I live, but I remember when you programmed the weather radio, it um you program it by county, so county you can codes. get the alert for for county yeah exactly like the, mm-hmm. the same code i forgot what the yeah. same stands for but okay so perfect so then what you're saying would be the geo located or the um that aspect would then fine tune it and make it more uh precise in a way as opposed to just um a whole entire county being uh, alerted on the weather radio
3: Correct. Yeah, and that's what I I was mentioning about the false alarm issue. Mm -hmm. When they're issued county-based, that contributes to the false alarm perception because when it's county-based, if the tornado occurs in the polygon, then the rest of the county doesn't see it. And so that's perceived as a false alarm. Mm -hmm. So both NOAA weather radio and sirens are generally county-based. And so, you know, the idea is with both of those technologies, can we do something to, you know, um, integrate the geolocation and the polygon that makes it more precise? And that's what the public's telling us. The public's saying that that's the information they want. Otherwise, they get irritated that they're being asked to take action when, in fact, it's not going to affect their location.
1: Uh, With all these changes that we've been talking about, these awesome improvements for the future, uh, you mentioned that this was only phase one of the project. So what do you expect is coming with phase two?
2: Phase two, we just kicked off um, uh, last month. Really excited. We have another team that's working on uh, internally that we've put together with engineers, meteorologists and others. And their goal is to take the user analysis report, that came from Phase One, where we've got all of this rich, you know, information from the interviews and surveys, and a lot of, lot of feedback from our stakeholders, and take that document to inform um, uh, our new requirements and and help us identify new requirements in an effort to design and develop this new system that'll be um, we what we hope will be capable of supporting multiple dissemination platforms. So. Um, you know, the end goal is to create a weather information mass dissemination system that meets uh, our Weather Ready Nation mission. And I, you know, I know you guys have are familiar with it, mm-hmm. but you know, Weather Ready Nation is our is our mission as an agency to build build a society that is prepared for and responds properly to weather dependent events and risks. And so, you know, that's kind of what we're hoping to do. So, phase two is going to be working on uh, our requirements process for this.
1: Excellent. Um, okay, so. Based on these findings and all the different phases that you have currently talked about, what do you see for the future of no weather radio?
2: Yeah, it's really exciting. I, you know, and I'll ask you know, Dr. Myers too. She had a, a her and her team have been great and worked very closely with us and did you know a great a yeoman share of the work with working with the stakeholders and will continue that, you know, so one thing, stakeholder engagement is for phase one, but it continues throughout all of the phases. Um, so it'll be really, I'd like to hear what she says about some of the, the feedback on what the stakeholders want to envision. So, because we really want to make sure we don't have an idea of what we want, and we're trying to just mm-hmm. keep that space open. But I think it's some really new, exciting things, especially from the, the ideas of the stakeholders were. Dr. Myers, do you want to maybe give a few examples?
3: Yeah, um, I think, you know, probably some of the biggest things are, you know, the need for fast and detailed warnings and, you know, really looking at how the technology could be developed to make sure we're getting the information to the right populations. You know, there's a lot of issues with making sure vulnerable populations get the information and they have actionable information. So, the deaf and hard of hearing, those mm-hmm. that, you know, cannot take shelter or drive away, how can we enhance these modalities to provide them information that they can use? So, you know, enhancing all of the technologies to provide better information to those vulnerable populations. And also, you know, being able to target it specifically, knowing where these populations are and what type of information they need, then using the technology to make sure we're connecting to them with enough lead time so that they can take the appropriate action. Um, I think also in terms of the fact that most of our populations are transient now. Mm -hmm. People are in their cars, they're going to work, they're going to school, they're traveling. So enhancing the technology to make sure that the mobile apps can reach us where we're at. So, you know, if your technology is geolocatable, it doesn't matter where you're at. It's going to give you that information to your cell phone or whatever other technologies that you're using. And so there's a lot of things that can be done to make sure we're adapting to kind of the new world. In in regards to where people are and, and what they need and also what technologies they're currently using. Social media is another big area that we've looked at in regards to how can we disseminate information through social media that's useful. Part of the problem with social media, of course, is trying to get that information out there in a timely manner because of the way social media works. But it provides a lot of other functions. So learning how to use social media better to provide situational awareness, uh, to educate the public on you know what actions they ought to take. So there's a lot of work that can be done with that. And there's also the technologies that can be applied to social social media content to give us information to confirm mm-hmm. what the weather service um, technology is providing. So social media analysis of location and impacts and that type of information. So that's some of the things that that have uh, been discussed with some of the partners. Another big thing that, that I have found real interesting is the need for all clear information. We talk about these modalities and in, in pushing out the warning information, but what they're asking for is could the technology be utilized to give them an all clear? People don't know when they're supposed to come out of their shelters, when it's safe to move along. And so, you know, enhancing the technologies to be able to do that.
0: That sounds kind of like even at a college campus when they send out an alert and they say, you know, I've, I've been here at ECU and they do a great job with a tornado warning, they'll send you a text alert, they'll send you an email, and then also all of the uh, computers owned by the school will actually have a tornado warning uh, pop up, and you can't get out of it unless you hit, I acknowledge the tornado, I'm, I'm seeking shelter. Um, so that's really an interesting thought. Um, and also, they do give an all clear, which is great on the mm-hmm. uh, campus level. They say, you know, the tornado has passed or the threat is over, um, and same thing for that kind of stuff. So it's great that you mentioned that, because it's very practical and people honestly, yeah, they do want to know when they're able to get out because they might just be sitting in the bathroom for an hour and then that might frustrate them for the next time something happens and they just they're like, well, I sat here. Nothing happened. Um, why did I even do this? You know, mm-hmm. so that's really a great point exactly. that I haven't really heard people talk about as much, but I'm glad that that information was extracted from um, the uh, the research thus far.
3: Yeah, that's the really neat thing about the study is we've been able to pull out these nuggets of information that we've not seen in other studies that have been done um, and it's it's a matter of talking to the different stakeholder groups and that it's that rich interview information that we're getting. We're letting people really kind of tell us how this all plays out. And that's allowed things like social media and all clear information to kind of emerge from all of that. And so providing that back to Tyra and, and her group about, you know, what to do with that and what kind of technologies would allow that to happen. And you mentioned, you know, what your university is doing. Those are best practices. And so a lot of this is learning what those best practices are and then enhancing that into the technologies that are being utilized with other modality
0: i'm glad yeah mm. this is this all is a group effort and i'm glad that everyone's coming together too because this is all for us and this is for our future so it's always extremely important that we all talk to one another and, and see what the best practices really are yeah um and here's a here's a fun question for you guys um the, the national uh weather service no weather radio that voice that they have <laughs> is kind of robotic um and I, personally for me it can be kind of a turnoff so i was wondering is there any feedback from what you have done so far about the voice or is there any attempt to change up the way that the uh, voice is used in the weather radio by any chance yes it, yeah. it came up it, <laughs>
3: it, it actually came up quite a bit um, you know, because that's one of the annoying factors. And, you know, I mentioned earlier that, you know, a lot of the noise that's associated with these things bothers people, and that's why mm-hmm. they quit using them. And so the voice is one of those things. They feel like it's impersonal, it's irritating. Um, they, You know, the fact that NOAA Weather Radio information is direct, and then you're getting this robotic voice, people are like, you know, what's going on? And so a lot of recommendations were made to change that. Um, NOAA Weather Radio actually allows for a live voice. And no, uh, the National Weather Service has gotten away from using the live voice. And so they've talked about, you know, using the live voice again, having the meteorologist in charge or the lead forecaster providing that information live, if not live actually recording a live voice making the statements and then using the recordings of the live voice so that you wouldn't have all of that manpower resource issue and so you know that's really important too when you match that up against what the public's telling us and why they might not use the modality if we can make those kind of transformations then it would give us a general broader use And what's interesting is a lot more people would use it. That's Mm -hmm. what they're telling us, is if these changes could be made, more people would use them. They would find them less annoying, less irritating, and it would overcome some of those problems.
2: Outside of the report, um, as I've gone to different uh, conferences and workshops, I've gotten, you know, if someone sees me and sees me standing by a poster or a (laughs) presentation about no weather radio, I'll get, you know, inevitably I'll get someone that comes over, you know, what are you guys going to do something about that voice? Why can't you have (laughs) some Samuel L. Jackson. Why can't you get Beyonce? (laughs) Yeah, that's what I (laughs) was thinking. (laughs) Morgan Morgan Freeman. I said, okay, well, you know, we could try that. I don't know. if They'll fit the National Weather Service in their schedule, but uh, it would be pretty cool to listen to one of those voices.
0: I mean, it could be a GPS system where you have an Australian voice or a (laughs) British voice or (laughs) I don't know. That could be be in the future, but I'm I'm glad that's definitely being looked at as well. Um, It's a complete transformation but definitely keeping what works now but then you know enhancing it to to make it usable and more
1: user-friendly for everybody so that we can all be on the Mm -hmm. same page That's great stuff. Yeah, Yeah, it's so great to finally see, like, I call it the push-pull method, where instead of pushing a product on someone or, um, like, creating something and forcing someone to do it, it's actually great to see us pull ideas from those stakeholder groups and make a product that they want and that they will use. Yeah, and I think that's what makes
2: this – this is a very challenging project, as you can imagine, just because of the sheer scope of it and how – I mean, it it Mm -hmm. really affects – you know, all of us, you know, in our, in this, in our nation and, and we want to do this well. And, but I think it's, it's very exciting in that, you know, we are taking this position to get, like you said, Castle, those really important voices from, you know, communities, from partners, from, you know, um, one thing for my personal heartbeat is that of, um, you know, where do we go with this for assistive technologies? You know, like personally, I, I would love to see something even as we, mer- you know, meld weather information and alerts for, you know, maybe deaf and hard of hearing communities or visually impaired and something really cool, mm-hmm. like wearable devices, right? So if um, you have a, 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 right. a watch that goes off and can, you know, maybe buzz you or flash or do different things, um, I think, you know, there's just kind of this really large, cool landscape and where we can co-develop these new these new ways of, of um providing this really timely weather information to protect and save lives
0: awesome do you guys have anything else that you guys would like to add
2: well for me it's just um you know i'm really excited and you know, to have this opportunity to be on the podcast. And, you know, I think you'll, I don't know if, if, if people are interested, we'd love to f- have feedback, comments. Um, I, I don't know if you'll, my, my information's available. And so um, um we'd love to, you know, answer any questions we have and also take any feedback or suggestions and, you know, to the team going into phase two. So wanted to offer that as well.
3: Yeah, the more information that we can gather, the better. And that's the neat thing about the meth- methodology of this project is, you know, we've identified various stakeholder groups and we've dug really deeply into those stakeholder groups to make sure that we're, you know, capturing information from all of the people that have very relevant information. And so as Tyra is suggesting, as people hear this and they, they have a perspective that they want to share, we definitely want to hear it. Um, one, that information can confirm and affirm information that we're gathering it can also lead us in other directions for information that we haven't captured already and so it would be very useful to us so people should not hesitate to contact either tyra or myself uh we'll make the time to talk to them and and get their input
0: awesome and we'll definitely throw your information up on our website and on uh, some other uh, posts as well so that people can reach out to you guys Alright, uh, Dr. Myers and uh, Dr. Brown, thank you so much for joining us today. <laughs> thank you. Thank, thank you, you for coming.
3: Fun. Thank y'all.
0: So, you can find us in a variety of places, including the facebook.com slash weatherhype or weatherhypepodcast.com.
1: You can also find us on Twitter at weatherhype, both words, weather and hype, or you can send us an email at weatherhype at gmail.com.
0: If you feel like you want to and you like our podcast we'd love for you to review us on itunes and any of your android uh, podcast apps so until next time
1: we should probably say happy thanksgiving sure
0: whatever you can do that (laughs) (laughs) happy turkey day y'all you be good eat good food and then go shopping on friday
1: we also have season two coming up so keep an eye out for that
0: yes we will because 2016 is almost over, yo. Yo, I'm trying to eat this yogurt and run to the bus. This crazy. <laughs> Season two, big changes. Season two. All right, now we're just sprinting.
1: Anyway, until yeah, next are. time. Until next time. Stay, stay hyped. Stay hyped. All right, I gotta go. <laughs>
0: Alright, redo. I'll redo that part. It is episode 18, correct? This is embarrassing. Alright, let's go. Okay, 3, 2, 1.